So a couple weeks ago, we began our series, Vital Signs. It's a series on the Ten Commandments. In light of our ever-changing culture, we want to ground ourselves in God's Word. One of our directives here at TFRC is biblical obedience. Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Uh, Things are always changing around us, and we want to remind ourselves of biblical right and wrong, and a great place to start with that is the Ten Commandments. Now, in medicine, vital signs are indicators of essential body functions, things like pulse and blood pressure and temperature and respiratory rate. These are life-sustaining functions. Well, in a similar way, the Ten Commandments can be vital signs for determining how our walk with Jesus is going. We consider them vital to following Jesus. Now, to be clear, we are saved by grace, not works. Obeying the Ten Commandments is not grounds for salvation. Yet Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments and lived by them. And he said, putting his words into practice is like building your house on the rock. When the storms come, the house will stand. So using the Ten Commandments as vital signs can tell us how we're doing in following Jesus, and they can tell us how prepared we are for when the storms come, and they can indicate what is influencing us more, God's Word or our culture. You can find the Ten Commandments in two places in the Old Testament, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. For this series, we will be taking them from Exodus 20. This morning, we are looking at the third commandment. And so the scripture for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And then we're also going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there. Exodus is the second book in the Bible and gives the third command. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and Matthew 5 is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he addresses the issue of taking oaths and vows to the Lord. Our scripture reader this morning is Jack Hamilton. Jack, please make your way on up uh, the podium. If you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. And uh, we stand because we believe this is the word of God, and we read from the center of the room to remind us that scriptures be central in our lives. Again, the primary lens to determine how we live. And so, Jack, whenever you're ready, please read from Exodus 20, verse 7, and Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jack, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, Last year, I became a grandparent, and we're having a great time with that. But when you become a grandparent, it's daunting because it's hard to believe that you're old enough to be one. Um, There are different reactions to this feeling old when you're a grandparent. Uh, Some people try to stay young by acting and talking like younger people act and talk. That way they feel like they still have a youthful demeanor. I'm taking a different strategy. 
I'm going to have some fun by leaning into some grandparent stereotypes, starting with the language I use. I want to include grandparent-sounding language in my vocabulary, okay? So words like whippersnapper and tomfoolery or, you know, get me a drink out of the icebox or lay down on the Davenport or, you know, it's all hunky-dory. Uh, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, I need to put on my trousers. I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich. Uh, hey, cool your jets. Uh, that's the cat's meow. Words that sound like they come from a bygone era. Or, you know, if you're going to sound this way and you're going to call someone dumb, well, if you're going to sound like a grandparent, you can't use the word dumb. And the good news is there's a bunch of great synonyms for the word dumb, like nincompoop or muttonhead or dolbert or dodunk or dunderhead or ninnyhammer or mooncap. And then there are other words that you can use to insult people that sound like they come from long ago. Like you can call people a yellow belly or lick spittle or smell fungus. That's my favorite, smell fungus. Uh, or mumpsimus or hobbledehoy or a fustalugs or a suck bottle. And then if you really want to insult people, you can combine these words for some real zing zingers. Like a yellow belly nincompoop or a smell fungus muttonhead or a ninny hammer lick spittle. By the word zingers, that's a great grandpa word as well. So I'm not old enough to be a grandparent, but I might as well sound like one. It's all about the language, which is what we think when it comes to the third commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. We think it's all about our language, and we take it to mean, you know, we shouldn't say the naughty words. Um, well, as we unpack this command, we'll see that it's not just about our language. Now, when talking about what I'm calling mouth malpractice, while it's not just about the language, that command does include our language. It is addressing our use of profanity. And yes, we should avoid profane language. The S word, the H word, the A word, the F bomb. Those are words we want to avoid. As scripture says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. However, the third commandment isn't talking about that kind of profanity. That's not what it's addressing. It's talking about the name of the Lord. And going back to the passage um, in Exodus 20, verse 7, where it says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, in the original language of the Bible, Exodus 20, verse 7, literally means, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, that word take implies we are stealing something which doesn't belong to us. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. We are not to take the Lord's name for an empty reason. The Lord's name is not ours to take. It is his name. Now think about the importance of your name. Your name is your reputation. And if someone takes your name in vain, it means they are tarnishing your reputation. And we are not to be flippant with the name of God. Now, God does have a name other than God, 
In fact, he has lots of names, but there is a primary name for God. And the four letters in the Hebrew language that spell God's name are Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, which when you pronounce those four letters as one word, you can pronounce them either as Jehovah or more likely Yahweh. Now in Judaism, they revere the name of the Lord to the extent that in Judaism, the name of the Lord is not spoken. So in Judaism, they will refer to God as Hashem, which simply means the name. And the closest that they will get to saying God's name is by spelling it out, where they will actually refer to God by saying yod Hey vav Hey. God's name is to be revered and not taken in vain. Now, in our culture today, the name of God is not respected at all. In profanity, to use GD or JC to express frustration, that's routine, happens all the time. In fact, on the scale of profanity, JC or JD are kind of on the lower part of the scale of bad profanity words. It's not even close in our culture to be considered as like the F-bomb is bad. But the command says, God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That is a biblical curse. God expects us to take his name seriously. And so if nothing else, if we get nothing else out of this this morning, let's stop using GD and JC language to express frustration. But remember, the point isn't about cleaning up our language. It's about respecting the name of God. And it's one thing for those who are not followers of Jesus to not respect God's name. It's another thing for those of us who are followers of Jesus to disrespect God's name. And so this command, it does include the words we say. It covers some of those things. But it's not primarily about profanity. It's not about that. And so if it's not primarily about our language, well, then what is the command about? It's more about our pledges. Pledges are oaths and vows that we make. When we recite the pledge of allegiance, what do we do? We put our hands over our hearts and we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We are taking an oath, making a vow. And the third commandment, do not misuse the name of your Lord, is often associated with taking oaths or vows in the Lord's name. As it says in Leviticus 12, do not swear falsely by the name of by my, my, by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And when swearing by the name of the Lord, in the Bible, one would, you, one would do that by saying something like, as surely as the Lord lives, I will repay you the money I owe you. To make such a statement and then not repay the money or whatever other action you may vow to take, to not do that calls into question the Lord's existence because you said, as surely as the Lord lives. And then if you don't do what you said you would do, well, maybe you don't believe 
that the Lord actually lives. And again, our culture, it doesn't value the name of God. And it's not just misusing the name of the Lord with our profanity to swear on God's name. It doesn't mean much, and we do it flippantly all the time. How common is the phrase, I swear to God, I swear to God. We hear it all the time. I swear to God, that's true. We often don't even think about what we're saying. And there was a day in our culture where, you know, you'd put your hand on the Bible to swear that you would tell the truth, and the fact that you did that was effective. Or presidents, when they're sworn into office, and notice that language, sworn into office, they put their hand on the Bible because people equated that with swearing to God. God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So that was taken very seriously at one time. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating as a culture. We go back to that for reasons I'll explain shortly. But our flippant use of swearing to God is another example of how we devalue God's name. Again, what those outside the church do is for God to judge. But for those of us inside the church, we do need to be more sensitive. We are called to take the name of God seriously. And I'll just speak for myself. Over the years in my life, there have been certain people who I have respected and loved so much that I would never say anything bad about them. Not because I thought they were perfect, but because they have my respect. And I'm amazing how quickly I will not do that for God. Now, maybe it's because I know God will forgive me, it'll be fine, but that really isn't the point. The point is about the respect for God's name. Do I love and respect God enough to honor his name? And so, when Jesus addresses this topic in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually ups the expectation to always keep your promises, always do what you say you will do. Revisiting the passage in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Oaths are only needed if the person's word is unreliable. And Jesus says, our words should be good enough. We shouldn't need to take an oath or make a vow to tell the truth. (laughs) We should always be truthful. And the examples that Jesus gives in this passage are what you could call, they're sort of second-class oaths. 
Because the examples that Jesus gives, none of them directly invoke God's name. They invoke swearing by heaven and earth and Jerusalem and your head. And even though they don't invoke God's name directly, Jesus says they're all connected to God. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is the great city, uh, our head, you can't even make uh, one hair of your head black or white. Yes, that was before the days of Revlon and just for men, but the point is still valid. Jesus tells us, simply say yes or no. Anything more comes from the evil one. The evil one, Jesus says in another gospel, is the father of lies. And so if our yes and our no, if those aren't any good, well then we're following in the footsteps of the evil one. And the book of James picks up on this idea where it says in James chapter five, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is talking about integrity. Do what you say you are going to do and don't say you will do something that you won't do. When we claim to follow Jesus, and don't have the integrity to let our yes be yes and our no be no, we dishonor the name of the Lord. Our followers of Jesus, are they a bunch of liars who claim one thing and do another? Now that's a common criticism of the church in part because it happens too often. When we lack integrity, we take the Lord's name in vain because we misrepresent who God is. Now, here's what I see in the culture all around us, and it's a great temptation for us. Talent trumps integrity. Success trumps integrity. Money and fame trump integrity. The rich and famous can get away with having less character because they're rich and famous. You see this in professional sports. The more gifted athletes and coaches can get away with having less character because they're gifted. Or CEOs of major corporations can get away with having less character because of their success. Politicians with good poll numbers can get away with having less character because of their poll numbers. This cultural value of talent and success and riches and fame trumping integrity has found its way in the church. There have been plenty of famous and successful pastors who for years got away with having less character and integrity because they had big churches and dynamic ministries. And I'm not gonna go through the list because it's way too long. It is not okay for us to have the same values as the culture. Again, God will judge those outside the church for valuing talent over integrity. But valuing talent over integrity is not an option for followers of Jesus. Now, to be sure, there are plenty of people 
who have both talent and integrity. There are lots of them. Many are in this room, okay? But it is tempting to get our priorities mixed up and overlook a lack of character because of an abundance of talent. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. No one is. We all have flaws. We all need God's grace. But every time we just overlook wrongdoing by a gifted person in the church, we profane the name of God. We are followers of Jesus. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That actually happened. And because it's real, it changes everything. God's name is great because God always does what he says. In the beginning, when God created the world, he created the world by speaking. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let dry ground appear. And dry ground appeared. When it comes to God's word in creation, Every time God says something, every time God speaks, what he says actually happens. Every time, no exceptions. And that never changes. When God speaks, what he says will actually happen every time, no exceptions. Because God keeps his promises. God's name is great because God always does what he says. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't always do what we say. We don't always keep our promises. We do misuse the name of the Lord. We take the Lord's name in vain, not just in our language, but also in our duplicity. But God, he always does what he says. And God says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want us to take a time and take a moment for a time of confession where I will lead us in a short prayer of confession and at the end of that prayer I'm going to leave a time of, for silence and in that time of silence for each of us to pray in silence those things that we need to confess that we've taken the Lord's name in vain. Maybe it's in something we have said, you know, the language we've used, or maybe it's something we've done that lacks integrity. So let's take God at his word and confess our sins to him. Please pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning and we acknowledged. We acknowledge that we have sinned against you and one another in thought, word, and deed, in things we've done, and in things that we've left undone. And therefore, we pray in silence before you and confess specifically those things in where we have sinned against you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now.
hear these words from God, remembering God always does what he says. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.